This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to Part of Us. Before we dig into today's episode, follow us on all the platforms, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at Invoke Craze, and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. If you have comments or questions, then let's hear it. Email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. And please, as a reminder, review and rate our podcast. It really does matter in making sure that we get to as many ears as possible. All right, so let's catch up with some trending news. So En Vogue has excited the fashion world once again, but this time from 25-year-old outtakes. Only the Funky Divas Fashion Bible and Temple of the Avant-Garde. ID Magazine featured unreleased images from the EV3 cover shoot in an article titled The Story Behind En Vogue's Legendary 90s Album Artwork. Photography power couple Constance Hansen and Russell Peacock, professionally known as Guzman, shared never-before-seen snaps that are arguably more captivating than those released to the public. What did you think about those outtakes? Which are your favorites? Should these gems have been published during the EV3 era? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I, y'all know I stand hard for this album cover, period. Um, and I love, 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 like, behind the scenes anything. Um, and so this was like, I don't know, this was like a, a, a Christmas gift I didn't expect. It was yeah. like, I was That's like, where I the hell did this come from? And because I just, I never thought anybody, like, honestly cared enough about it to write like to leak the things but to write a piece about it i just was like oh this is dope so i live like over and over and over i've like saved them to my phone i made sure that i have them in case id takes them down (laughs) i'm like i need these on in my archive um that being said i think they're all gorgeous i feel like that the archives honey the archives um i think they're all gorgeous i really love the shoots that um kind of has them i don't know it kind of feels like circusy do you know what i'm talking about like there's this i think like cindy's in the middle um talking about it's kind of got i'm curious because we didn't see too many photos from that that but um i thought it was intriguing the way that they were dressed and i was like oh this could have been really dope so but y'all know i live for the for the shoot that that landed on the actual album cover so like any all those other poses just were like oh chef's kiss chef's kiss i live i loved it I thought that, like Josh said, it was Christmas come early. I, I when you know I saw them come up on the internet, I was just so happy because you know, when we talked about the unreleased music, I was like, I'm not too keen on the unreleased music, but I do just like love when I see like a performance I've never seen or when there's unreleased, you know, things from photo shoots or videos. And this is like exactly what I wanted. I. I, I just love the photos. I love, of course, like some of the looks we've seen, but they were alternate versions. But then like the two, like the one, the Joss mentioned that circusy where like um, um, magazine and Timmy can look like circus performers and Terry, I don't know what Terry has on because she is dressed very conservatively. It's like a long flowing black it's looking jacket like a little maybe, witchy, you know? but Cindy and yeah, maybe a little yeah. Stevie Nicks. <laughs> um, but uh, Cindy and magazine have, uh, they, they have on, uh, what do you, like, 
I don't want to. They're not horses. I forget what you call those. They're not really leotards either. I don't know that like name for bustier, bustiers, what have you. They look great. Oh, those and corsets, corsets. Maybe that's what. They're, maybe they're corsets. Which is just so. I, I love it. And they're in front of white. So I'm thinking were those test shots because some of the photos look like test shots, and yeah. others they look like they were actually. You know, mm. there was um. In, in intent to use them and they just weren't used and in, when we talked about the album cover I think when we discussed EV3 I kind of you know I think I prematurely misjudged Guzman because it's not always the photos that you take it's what the people pick and choose to use because some of them like Terry I think there's one where she's in the outfit that she has on, on the album cover like it's obviously from the album cover you know one of the photos that could have been in EV3 the, the, the booklet and so the way she's sitting on the couch is just so high fashion. And so, yes. but they didn't pick that one. Yes. So, um, but I, my favorites, of course, the ones that had the looks that I didn't see, the, the circusy one and the one where it's kind of like tribal where they have on the different prints and Maxine has this cool kind of afro and Cindy and Terry have these braids. They have like this big um, beaded jewelry. Like I've never seen those before. So those are automatically going to be my favorites. And it's not only that I hadn't seen them, but they just look so beautiful. And it's just so peak and bold peak and bold I love it yeah I love the that one with the kind of African motif they look just they look amazing I, I've i never seen that one are there more pictures of with that look or is that the I only one I think there are two like that because there's one where it looks like you know it potentially could have been in a magazine and then there's another one that's a little bit smaller where I think they're actually sitting on the couch but you know like I mean just think they have photographers you don't like they do all these looks they do uh, oh, so many it. shots of a look I think um, like Latoya Jackson talked about it one time she was like I hate doing photo shoots because they make you um, take all these photos they make you change your hair and change your clothes and do all these looks and then they only you only use one and so like there's probably like more photo shoots you know and looks and all kind of things that we haven't seen that's what I'm hoping for and I hope you know slowly but surely with you know the internet and social media and everything and with all of these creatives that are probably now you know either retiring or you know looking to just reminisce on their work that stuff like this starts to come out more and i'm also happy that it wasn't just like a a instagram dump it was actually in an article for a fashion magazine that if you remember house of style back in the day and the fashion channel back in the day like id id magazine was it it wasn't both that's just for like everybody it was like this it was for like people in fashion so it's a high um, mark of esteem that 25 years later like they're being featured in it and I don't even think in Vogue like they had nothing to do with the article they didn't retweet it they didn't say anything about it they didn't retweet any of the pictures it's just like they were just so so ahead of their time that you know like ID said you know what yeah we could do an article on this I don't understand why they didn't share this like or sh- I just that, that seems like a missed opportunity I mean I get that it's, it's tricky sometimes to like repost things with like former members like and when you're operating as a different composition of the group but like from a legacy perspective like this is a great piece that was written and like it deserves to be um i think like shared by them too you know i agree oh yeah i'm just on a high I, I'm so happy that, like, if nothing else comes out this year, I will keep looking at those pictures probably at least once a week and just 
uh, just sighing. <laughs> My eyes are going to be like a Cheshire cat, just grinning, looking at the, those beautiful pictures. And we can wish for the next, the next, the next shoot to leak. I would love for them to take more chances with their fashion, you know, in their current uh, state. You know, I know they they've done some 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 nice looks in recent you know years, but I don't think anything has been very avant garde. You know, I think even some of the nicer choices have been a little bit safe, uh, especially in comparison to this type of shoot. Um, like when you look at like Rocket, for example, they looked wonderful. The dresses were gorgeous, but it still was kind of like more on the safe side compared to, you know, this type of shoot. You know, I would love to just see them kind of go to get with a, uh, a photographer and creative director that just kind of pushes them somewhere outside of just being safe and glamorous. Yeah, oh, right, JP, I'm feeling you on this episode. I would have loved to see that too, because <laughs> I think Michael Mann, rest in peace, was pushing them in a direction that I think was even kind of not safe for them then but like I imagine what like you know it's like any other relationship right you build trust and I feel like eventually if like they were still working with him like I just wonder where that where he would have pushed them because I think he was gonna push them I've seen some of his other stuff that he's done for other artists and like at the time and like it just there was there was a lot of potential there I agree. I'm happy you said that. And R.I.P. Michael, man, I, I, mean, I still can't believe it. It just looked like he had everything going for himself. And I love this direction. Um, but you bring up a good point because, um, like, what was interesting when I saw um, Guzman posting the images on uh, social media, it wasn't, they didn't know who the stylists were. And I think the styling is such a huge part of it. Mm. Probably why I like it because, like I said, some of them are just test shots. And of course, the ladies look beautiful. Magazines figures on 10, Cindy's figures on 10. Um, they just look, Terry, of, of course, is on 10, just in that um, kind of like the long blessing. I don't, it's just interesting that the other two are like, you know, like showing body and she's fully covered, which is cool because I like the contrast. But I fail that to say, um, like, it's so much, you know, like everyone has to play a role on a creative team. And a lot of photographers these days, it, it's just different because now everything is so accessible and digital. But back in the day, when you had to actually, you know, shoot and use film, and you had to develop the film, like I just feel like there was an actual art to it. So they definitely, with a great style like Michael Mann, if only they had, they were like better photographers, you know, not just content creators, but actually photographers that know, you know, oh, I can just imagine what they could do now. folks let's jump into our discussion for this episode so speaking of the ev3 era today's episode is actually dedicated to the enigmatic lead single whatever written and produced by babyface and giuliano franco this spacey mid-tempo groove found the funky divas in uncharted territory so for the first time the ladies crafted an album not entirely under the auspices of longtime producers denzel foster and thomas McElroy. The fact that I really needed to um, go and Google the word enigmatic. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This is a SAT word. It's been a minute. Hold on. Let me see. Okay. For those listening who were confused as I, enigmatic means difficult to interpret or understand. Mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so things changed with Denzel and Tommy. Cindy revealed in the Jeffrey Himes Washington Post article titled In Vogue 3 for the Road published October 31st, 1997. And she says, we owe a lot to them because they were the ones who put this group together. With the first album, we were in uh, the infant stage and needed their guidance. But with the second album, we grew up a little. And like good parents, they knew that when we grew up, it was time to let us go. There was some heartache on both sides, but we got past it and we're still working together. In fact, they wrote and produced our next single, Let It Flow. Discussing working with Babyface, Cindy explains the head of our label, Sylvia Roan, brought Babyface into the project. We went and we went to the studio to meet him for the first time, and Sylvia told us if we liked the song Babyface had written for us, we would stay there and record it. We were a little bit nervous because Babyface is Babyface, and he's worked with a lot of great vocalists, but he was cool. For someone with such a big name, he wasn't intimidating at all. When I first heard the song, I wasn't sure I liked it. Then I heard how Babyface had worked that bell tone thing that became our signature on Never Gonna Get It into this new song, and that made me like it. So let's get into it. What do you think of whatever solely as a song, only as a song, not as, you know, lead single, not as a mm-hmm. video, mm-hmm. but this is a song. <laughs> a comeback Not record. as a comeback record, none of that. Do you think it was worthy? Oh, well, then I asked, do you think it was worthy of being picked as a lead single? <laughs> but first, like, what do you think of whatever just as a song? Like, no judgment, like, you just heard it. What do you think? I love this song. Like that is this to me. This song still sounds fresh. It is a groove. It is a bop. Like I still. That is probably the invoke song I listen to the most often to this day. Um, it sounds. It's so funky. Like it's. It's weird to me that Babyface produced it because he's known for the more ballads, the more kind of laid back um, records. And even now, when I listen to it, I'm. I'm finding little things that I like about it to this day. Like it's so it's, it's a great song to me. Yeah. Same here. It's like, I think it's also my, my, my most frequently listened to um, just because I think it's like in the evolution of in Vogue, I think it like really shows them in a place that was grown and sexy and kind of like laid back. Yeah. Like, riding grooves versus needing to like you know it wasn't like this huge huge dance song or something i thought it was kind of cool it was like very chill but still had like a punch to it and then i think it kind of even separate of the visuals before the visuals come i kind of think it's got a creepiness to it it's got like a weirdness to it like that obviously lends itself well when you add in the the visuals and you add in the music video etc but in and of itself as a song, I think it's interesting and it didn't really sound like a lot of other songs that were coming out at the time, which I think is kind of dope. So it also just like, it's like you said, it's still fresh. I feel like I can still like, I can it could come out today. Yeah. And like if I heard that in a club or something, like I would really, <laughs> really be into it. And I'd be like, well, what is this if I didn't know? So I think it's kind of, yeah. it's, it stands the test of time. Unlike some other songs that I think we, we talked about on that album. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was worthy of being the lead single? Yeah, absolutely. Lead sing- I mean, compared to, yeah, 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 I think so. I think that was the, their, their best shot at a, that a hit was with whatever, in my opinion, on that album. I always thought that the first single should have been your all I need. And my justification is that, um, and this is, I mean, well, I kind of ties into Don um, because like, it's almost 
begs the question, and we we know it's not, but for some people, they could have been like, is this about Don? You're all I need. I haven't seen you lately, but you keep me wondering where you are. Um, it, could have, it was very simple. I think it would have played well on pop radio. It would have played well on R&B radio. It's a little bit unsimple. There's only one person on lead. In the background, they're very kind of churchy. So, you know, you could have had Cindy up front, you know, um, and then Max and Terry killing it in the background. And I think it just was maybe a little bit more palatable mainstream. So that's the one I would have picked. So I would, as much as I love whatever, I would not have picked it as the first, the lead single. In terms of the lead single, lead single, whatever, lead single. Um, I mean, I could say I would not have picked your all I need. <laughs> <laughs> that much I can say for certain. Um, so I think uh, one of the writers of Don't Let Go, uh, what's his name? Ivan Mateus. Yes. So ever since he said that, you know, initially... Damn, I Want to Be a Lover was supposed to be the lead single, and Dawn left, and Cindy didn't want to sing it. Ever since then, I could just, in my mind, I can just, like, I want to know what that would have been like as the lead single. So, and that, that is really one of my favorite songs from EV3. Um, so there's a part of me that just kind of feels like, I wonder how that would have worked as a lead single, but all things considered, listening to the body of work as a whole... I have this. I still have to give it to whatever is the lead single because it's it's just um, it is just so funky. It is just so like it still sounds good. Like that song came out in what ninety seven, and to me, like the production, there's nothing on the production I would change. You know what I'm saying? Like I think it could come out today if a new girl group sang it today. Um, I think it could still work. So I guess I'll I'll say yeah. I would go with whatever as the lead single. But um, I just want to touch on you talking about damn. I want to be a lover because I remember this interview with. Oh, wait, there's a lot of people that now that I'm talking about, I'm realizing they're not here with us anymore. But Andrea Martin, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. I don't remember if I read it or her, I saw her saying it, but she talked about um, you know after the uh, success of Don't Let Go, she was picked to you know of course write additional songs and she was she she was like I asked the girls you know what they wanted you know and they were like they want another song like don't let go but she because you know Andrew Martin is um very animated Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. or she was R.I.P. and so I always wondered was that song damn I want to be a lover but the way she said it though was kind of like shady like she was like they want another song like don't let go (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I mean I've been I've been said this is recently like this was maybe I can't remember if it was the beginning of COVID or pre-COVID, but he was saying like, yeah, that was, Don was supposed to sing, Don sang lead on it. Um, it was supposed to be the first single. And then when she left, they kind of re-shifted focus and that's how whatever, he says that's how whatever ended up being the lead single. Um, I would, we would love to have you on to discuss further. Yes, please come, Ivan Mateus. Uh, we would love it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that is honestly my favorite song on EV3. And I just, I love that. I love that record. I would have loved to have heard Dawn on it. Um, even though Terry does a great job. I would have just loved to have kind of seen how that would have worked, especially following up Don't Let Go. But all things considered, um, I don't think it would have worked without Dawn being on it. Especially following Don't Let Go. 
You know what I'm saying? If they were trying to recreate that moment, you know what I'm saying? But also sometimes recreating those moments don't work out. True. That is true. So, you know. I think that's what Andre was trying to say. Like, you want another song with, but he already had done like, you want another yeah. song that sounds like that? But I wonder how it would have been like with maybe the same pattern of if Don sang the leads and then Terry coming in and, you know, maybe doing the bridge and Max on some ad-libs. I don't know. Who knows? But at any rate, um, whatever peaked in the top 20 stateside and across the pond, the Recording Industry Association of America certified the single gold for shipments of over 500,000 in the United States. However, whatever is rarely referenced by non-diehard fans when reflecting on Invoke's discography and the ladies seldom dust off the jam in concert. In defense of Invoke's whatever, ethnomusicologist Mark Chappelle ponders, was it Don's ninth-hour abandonment? Was it too pop for BET? Too black for MTV? Did East-West lose faith in EV3 and withdraw full support? We suspect it may have been the video. So speaking of the video, Whatever's music video premiered in May of 1997, preceding the physical single's June 2nd street date. Lensed by the cinematic and extraordinaire Matthew Ralston, the clip drew comparisons to Marilyn Manson and Michael Jackson's thriller due to its leading ladies traipsing around a seemingly haunted beauty salon in the haute couture and ghastly makeup. Frank Gatson and Lorianne Gibson, the boom cat queen herself, uh, choreographed the <laughs> esoteric masterpiece. Although it was nominated for Most Stylish Video at the 1997 VH1 Vogue Fashion Awards. Oh my God. Do you remember those? Oh my God. I forgot about that award show. Yes, I do. <laughs> it was ignored by the MTV Video Music Awards and the Grammy Awards. Hey, crime. I know. I thought, because I, I remember watching um, the VH1 Vogue Fashion Awards that year, and VH1 will play it over and over and over and over and over, which was great for me because I didn't have a VCR. So I would I was able to see like an Vogue live performance over and over. They did too long, too long. For those who don't remember, they had all the purple. Um, from my understanding, uh, that award show, there each act that performed um, was assigned to a designer and in both designer was, I believe, Donna Karen. And they did too long, too long. And I just could not believe that like a video like whatever, even though I didn't like it, it was just so much fashion in it. Um, and my mom is like a fashion person. So she watched the style channel. She watched House of Style. So, you know, I would see the runway shows um, and watch all of that with her. So they lost to Brian Adams, if I remember correctly. I just couldn't believe it. And then, yeah, then, like, such a video that just generated so much controversy. Like, they didn't get nominated. Like, they weren't at the MTV Video Music Awards, which were huge at that time. (sighs) But I think that, I think a lot of of that stuff just has to do with how much the label was pushing them, you know? And it, it really just felt like. I don't think they were getting the, you know, the same level of support they were getting, you know, previously. Well, complicating matters. Photographer Sean Ellis, no relation to Terry, the voice Ellis, actually sued Matthew Ralston for plagiarism due to the similarities between whatever's video and his shoot called Clinic, which appeared in the Face magazine's March 1997 issue, which was styled by the legendary Isabella Blow, friend to the late uh, Alexander McQueen, Ralston conceded to borrowing too heavily from Sean Ellis, and according to Paul McCann's July 17th 
1997 article in The Independent, he agreed to pay the equivalent of a day's worth of work um, for a high-end photographer upon being threatened with legal action. And um, I guess back then that was about $20,000. Uh, so, uh, wow. which isn't actually for a lawsuit. That's not too bad, in my opinion. But then, of course, what do I know? If we want to talk about that, let's talk about that. Plagiarism. We're creatives. What do we think about plagiarism? Do we, we saw the pictures. Was it plagiarism? It was, yeah. Clearly, yeah. I mean, clearly, that was the inspiration and all of that. But to me, once you put, like, a picture out there, if someone takes your picture and interprets it in real time, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just seems like what is the legal standing of that? Like, you know, if someone steals your song that you have copywritten and you've got your, you know, all of your publishing and all of that, but I, I'm not, at least I'm not aware um, of photography being the same thing. Like when you take a picture and you publish it or it's in a magazine or something, is it copywritten in the same way that like a song is? I think so. I think you can copyright photographs. I think the only thing that I know that you can copyright is like fashion, except in France. In France, you can copyright um, art. Maybe that's not the word copyright, but you can... Uh, fashion can be considered to be plagiarized in France. Everywhere else, like if there's a jacket, I can make another jacket in the United States that looks exactly the same and I can't be sued, but photography can be copywritten according to the um, the article. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to me because, I mean, I mean, it's it happens all the time. Influence happens all the time. But if you uh, look at the the photos, it's not like, oh, this one photo happened to make it into the video. It's like, oh, no, this is the entire kind of vibe. Like, it's it's pretty copy paste. Now, it's a good copy paste. Like, <laughs> like it'd be different if, like, if uh, Matthew Ralston, like, borrowed it and then did it poorly. But, like, they feel very complimentary of one another. They feel really, like in sync so it kind of feels intentional to some degree if i was to see the shoot for the face from the face and then also look at the video i'd be like oh the same people who did the face piece probably just did the video so i think it's like kind of a compliment in a weird way but like also you know you can't just go be stealing people's you can't steal people's stuff and then uh not pay them something because the the right thing to do would be to give credit and say somewhere like this was inspired by but that clearly didn't happen because maybe that would have intercepted all of the legal conflict but people want their coins i could be mad yeah i remember it uh and i don't want to say people are being litigious because i know it's they're working it's very personal but the most bizarre thing that i'd ever heard and i was just like this has to be a joke was the scream video i guess there's like a piece of art that's shown in the video like it's just shown and the artist i guess who made the painting actually sued because his painting was shown in the video oh wow, wow. yeah i was like okay people are just getting out of control um because like that's, that's ridiculous to me um he, he did get a settlement though but this yeah he definitely borrowed um borrowed heavily from mr ellis what I will give Matthew, um, Mr. Rolston credit for is that there are parts of the video that, and I don't know if they came from somewhere else, but they're not in that particular shoot, like the, you know, the, the ladies dancing in the corsets and the, um, you know, Terry with the, 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 what is it? The Max Factor, um, kind of face cage and Cindy pulling 
the that giant um, head down the hallway. I don't know if those came from somewhere else, but it like a lot of it is, but like half isn't. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But regardless of the controversy, the forward-thinking masterstroke is a favorite of fans and fashionistas alike. How did you feel about the video when you first saw it? Have your thoughts changed? And knowing that it potentially, 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 <laughs> knowing that it potentially alienated a portion of Invoke's fan base, would you change the video in any way if you could? Yes, I would. I, what I would change is I just think, and I think I said this before, but only thing I would have changed is I would have had a section of the video where they're just giving you their full regular glam. You know what I mean? Maybe a little dance break, maybe just a little moment where they could have looked like what we expect to see of in Vogue to kind of just to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of give some familiarity as, you know, cause they look very different. They look very, you know, un um, unrecognizable in a lot of the video. Right. And they're coming out as so, three for the first time for the right. unrecognizable with that big of a change. Right. So maybe just if they, they could have done a little, you know, you got Lorraine Boomcat Gibson, you could have given us a little, you know, a little breakdown, a little choreographed one, two step with them giving you full glam, giving you something that we can feel in a, <laughs> in a recognizable way. Um, that's the only thing I would change um, about it. Honestly, I think I think the video. I mean, the concept of the video is 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 based on the lyrics, which is whatever you want. I'm willing to do, um, and so if that means I have to change myself, if I have to, you know, go to this crazy beauty shop and you know contort myself and do whatever, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So I think it's. I mean, I think the video is brilliant. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, even if it's based on that. You know, that other photographer's work. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they needed just a little bit of something that's like, okay, this is us. We're still, you know, it's still in vogue, you know. I think they needed that type of moment somewhere up in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I, mm, I don't know. I'm torn. I love it so much. I loved it then. I love it now. I don't want to change a thing about it. I would not change a thing about it, except for I don't really love Max and that top hat thing. That just never really thrilled me. Um, but, uh, I think she got the shittiest deal out of the individual shots because, like, <laughs> I thought Cindy's and Terry sort of like moments were really uh, striking, and then Max and like the mirror disappearing was just like, what what is going on? Um, but. I do wish that that was, (laughs) I do wish that would have been a great moment for like us to get more, like more natural hair, Max. Um, But the one thing I will say is that, and maybe this was more practice back in the day then than it is now, but I would have loved for them to have taken the opportunity to service two videos to two different audiences. Yes. So like we could have, this video could have absolutely stayed the same and been the MTV video, but I really needed, because it was so alienating for people, especially more traditional R and B kind of audiences that, because I don't even want to say black folks because people have said black, people say that sometimes people are like black folks didn't like this video I'm like I don't think that <laughs> but like I think that like the folks that were really used to a particular version of En Vogue it was very alienating and so I feel like that's um, 
that warrants another video. So I think that they could have done something completely different. That would have been so cutting edge. That would have been like a Beyonce-esque type of move. Yeah. And I'm here for it's it. Like giving us gowns and slinky things and sexy, but like not yes. crazy over the top. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been fabulous. But what I think is just so interesting is that, you know, the music industry for so long only operates, only operated in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I think in 1997, the idea of two separate videos, I think Sylvia Rohn and them up there in them offices would have been like, excuse me? I mean, they did two videos for, they did two videos for Don't Let Go, but that was probably because like, I mean, they don't. It, it was because of maybe they didn't like the first one. It was never done that you made two videos, I guess, because you, like, on purpose. It was usually because you didn't right, like the first right. one. But gosh, like, right. when you have such drastically different audiences, like, it makes sense sometimes. Do you think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I listen, I think two videos is 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 fierce. It is, it is, it, it's giving me, you know, Beyonce changing the game type of, I'm going to shake the industry up type of thing. Did anybody ever do that? No. Because when I, and so that's why I love the way you think, Justin, because when I was thinking of it, I was thinking like, um, like if they did their, because I love the video, so don't change anything, but I was thinking like a remix. I know Mary J. Blige, she would do, um, Oh, a remix video. Yeah, a video yes. for the remix. They had so many remixes, so if they had like right. one where they're just out there, then another one where they're like, you know, just, you know, like with the ODB version that has the, um, yes. the sequence sample. I'm going to plunk yes. you right on up. And they're just, you know, looking like hot babes looked in 97. Like, you know, that the, the obvious, cool. stereotypical hot babes, but it'll be a nice contrast. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cute because, I mean, I'm embarrassed being an invoke like uh, connoisseur for so long. I had never heard the ODB version of the remix. <laughs> Like I'm embarrassed about it. <laughs> and I was playing the remix um a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, this is dope. Like a remix video would have been so I think that could have taken in vogue and the whole project to a whole other kind of um place. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think like honestly, like whatever is one of those songs where it um in, in whatever form it's taken, be it remix or whatever, like it's always just, it's consistently good. So like the remix with ODB is good on its own merit. It doesn't necessarily, like it could have been, like it doesn't, you know, sometimes remix remixes feel reductive, like just sort of co- copy paste versions of the same original song. But even like there's these beautiful house mixes of whatever that I think are so good. And so like, I don't know. I just think that like this was the single that had the opportunity to sort of be adaptable to fit the various audiences. And if people are already doing mm-hmm. 
these things with the songs and we know we got to give a different version of this song to this different area of radio, then why would we not do the same thing with visuals? I just don't understand why they never explored that as an industry. That's a good question. Yeah, I think because labels are just thinking about the the bottom line, the dollar. That's real. Because it costs money to shoot a video. (laughs) Yeah, especially back then. Now you could just pull out your iPhone and shoot a video anywhere. But back then, a video was like a, you know, a huge line item on the budget. Um, You know, and they were just, they weren't trying to do all of that. But Do you remember, um, and I know you do, JP, Janet, there's together again, of course, the one that everybody knows, the Doom, oh, Doom, yes. Doom, Doom. But the, then there's the, the deeper, deeper remix, the deeper remix, which is not even oh, really yes. a remix. So this is a totally different vocal and everything. So it's not; it's a different version of the song, obviously. But it's called the deeper remix. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, Josh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and there was a whole other video for it, and they played that on BET, and MTV got the Doom, Doom, Doom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, Janet Jackson was the Virgin's moneymaker. She was their star. So they were invested in her. So they were going to make it work. They had, because Got to This Gone was the first single. It was not what people expected. It didn't do what That's the Way Love Goes did. And But together again, they knew it was going to be, you know, the the huge single. And so it, it went number one, of course on the pop charts, but they needed to service the black audience. So they created, you know, they had the deeper remix and they made sure BET got that R&B groove and they got the video for it, you know? Hey, that's the only, but I know that my, I feel like Mariah or somebody, but that's the only example that I can think of where there's like um, uh, two videos, one for a remix um, and one for like the actual, because like, well, maybe Mariah. I feel like Heartbreaker. Like maybe that happened. It started happening after because Heartbreaker. I think there was like Heartbreaker, the one in the theater. You know, the fun, popular one. She has on like the pink. Um, uh, well, it's not a tube type of pink costume type or whatever. And there's um, uh, O'Connell. I forget Jerry O'Connell on the video. But then she, there's the, the DJ Clue remix, and she's looking. Oh, Mariah, you know, <laughs> she had on those hot pants and like the the, the tiny bra. And I think Missy's on the remix, and maybe the brat, because you know her and the brat, you know, you know, you know, you know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but like yeah, it's, it's now it's starting to come to me. But I guess that started happening after. But like you said, those were like the huge money makers of their labels. So it was nothing yeah. to um, you know, do that for them, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Even to this day, I mean, I think there aren't a lot of artists that can get their label to kind of double dip on one song in that way, you know? So let's talk about the live performances of whatever. Um, Perhaps the greatest legacy of whatever is the litany of its television performances. Every performance offered energy and soaring vocals. Uh, the Ladies Grace MTV Jams, Planet Groove, the MTV Movie Awards, which is my favorite performance. Uh, Jay Leno, David Letterman, Regis and Kathy Lee, Rosie O'Donnell, and Saturday Night Live. Um, the dress rehearsal with renditions of the underrated tune. And shout out to, you know, the 90s when, you know, artists really went on promotional runs mm-hmm. and they would just perform their single everywhere. <laughs> Anywhere there was a camera set up, <laughs> there would be a performance. Uh, 
Um, international footage from Top of the Pops and French television have also surfaced. And it's been mentioned that it was also performed on Good Morning Britain. And we're still waiting for that footage to leak. Um, what's your favorite televised performance of whatever? Oh, I think it's also the MTV Movie Awards. Like it was everything. It was it was the fashion. It was the choreography. It was they had a, such good energy. They sounded good. I just think that they were like top tier, and the audience wasn't giving it to them like I thought they should have gave it to them. Um, <laughs> but overall, like it's a stellar performance. And I think we talked about my second place. I can't remember which one it is because I'd be forgetting and confusing these with these late night shows. But one of them was the performance that they had more choreography than most of the other performances. Do you know, which one was that? I think that was Letterman. Maxine has on the short skirt. Yes, and Max is going in. Like, Max is having a good time. Is this the one where Max's hair is kind of, like, all over the place a little bit? Like, she... Mm -hmm, Kind of reddish. Yeah, like, I think Max Mm -hmm. was really enjoying herself. I remember watching that pretty recently and kind of, like like giggling at how much fun it looked like they were having. Um, And then the choreography was never to be seen again. But um, those are my favorites. I love all of these. I think um, just trying to remember which ones I actually saw live when they aired, it would have to be the MTV uh, Movie Awards because as I probably have kind of hinted at, like cable, Oh, I just miss those days to be young and just, you know, like during the, well, during the summer or whenever, like during the weekend, if I didn't have anything to do and like I could just watch an award show over and over and over and over. I didn't need a VCR. Like if MTV did something, they were going to play it for like months. And so if I wanted to see that performance and I didn't have YouTube, there was no YouTube back then. I could, I'd be like, oh, MTV awards are on. Okay. This has to happen. This has to happen. And then the Vogue is going to perform. And so that probably just because of like, I know that I saw it like as it was happening, um, that just has a lot of nostalgia for me. I don't think I saw Jay Leno, um, David Letterman when they aired. I didn't see Weeks and Kathy, uh, like either I was asleep or at school. Rosie, I might have seen, um, Planet Groove, I definitely saw. And what I will get to the Planet Groove episode is that. I loved the arrangement and really all of the arrangements on that particular episode of Planet Group of all the songs, like they, it, they were different. So for your mind was different. Um, but just since we're talking about whatever they did, I don't know what instrument that is or if it was um, a sample, but there that, like the way it came in, I just really, really love that. And of course they sounded great. Like every, every performance, I don't think there's um, any bad performances during that time of whatever. Like, their vocals were always pristine. They sang it. They did all the notes. Um, you know, Cindy all the way up there. Carrie Belting. Magazine holding the lows. But I will say, just because I love um, uh, to see what I haven't seen. You know, I'm a Scorpio, so we love the unseen. Just, um, I do want to see that footage from uh, whatever Britain morning show they did. And then the Saturday Night Live one just bothers me because I know that they didn't do it on the show, but there's a full dress rehearsal and you see that they have dancers and there's like this couch with like um, a leopard uh, print, like kind of um, covering and like the costumes are just out of this world. So I just hate, it just bugs my soul that for whatever reason, 
they didn't do it during the show. But I need answers about that. I need to understand. We could do a whole episode <laughs> on that. Like it's just like what happened to that performance? Like they're in full dress, like the hair, like have like this kind of like um, I almost want to say like Japanese anime type of hair. So like they put a lot into it, and just to not perform it on the show is so odd to me. And I'm dying to see the dress rehearsal footage because sometimes you know it leaks. Like I've seen Mariah's. I've seen Whitney, so hopefully at some point, Whitney's, like if that yeah. leaves, you guys, I probably am going to have to take a year off just because my brain is going to explode. Yeah, I um my my favorite, of course, is the MTV Movie Awards. I um recorded it. I saw that in person in real time. I recorded it on my VCR. You know, when, when Puffy was like getting in vogue, I was pressing record. <laughs> I used to come home from school and watch it every day and, and learn the choreography. Like I was into it. Like that performance was everything to me. Like I didn't, and it was so weird because I was like, this shit is weird. Like I don't know what they have on. I don't understand that. I don't understand the hair. I don't understand any of this. And at this point, I think I was in middle school or something. Um, but I was like, I don't know what it is, but I'm into it. I love it. I used to watch, I honestly used to watch that multiple times a day. Also, shout out, shout out to the little, the little hip, the hip shimmy, whatever that little thing they be doing. That's my yeah, that whatever part when she's like, when Terry does the, uh, you know, when she gets to the high part of the whatever. <laughs> and I think Frank kind of appropriated that with, um, Crazy and love for Beyonce, but that's another discussion. Here's a fun fact, though. Uh, Invoke actually performed at Chicago radio station B96's Halloween Bash on October 30th, 1997, sharing a stage with Hanson, the Backstreet Boys, Robin, um, Aaliyah, and the legendary icon, you better call her the legendary icon, <laughs> I know Jay. Um, Wait, who the hell is I know Jay? The covers. She did Ring My Bell. She did Time After Time. She did Love uh, Love You Down. Oh, that's the chick from Atlanta? No, she's not from Atlanta. She's from, I think she was from the Midwest. But... Oh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, she's, um, she had a little good, she had a good little three hit run. Um... No, yeah, she was signed to So So Deaf. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed she was from Atlanta. But um, but that's like a pretty sort of that's a that's that is a lineup for sure. Um, but do you think that Invoke should have or should uh, play up whatever as a Halloween song? I do. I have a I have a playlist, y'all. I have a playlist. Uh, I've been making playlists on the low. It's a little bit of an obsession, and it's called um. Instead of All Hallows Eve, it's called All Hallows Weave. And <laughs> <laughs> it's got all of my like favorite songs that kind of sound like they should be Halloween songs, but aren't Halloween songs. And whatever. That is, is so cool. Whatever is definitely. It's called Hallow Who? All Hallows Weave. <laughs> all Hallows Weave. It's got like songs like. Um, Sunshine in the Rain by Joy or Makeup by Vanity Six or um, what else? Like uh, Heads Will Roll by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Like just well, random. Like Wait Your Turn by Rihanna. Just like deep, like sort of like the, the those kind of deeper, darker kinds of songs. And I have whatever. I think it's the last song. It's like the closer or something. But I think it does play well as a Halloween song. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't have a Halloween playlist, so I, I <laughs> when I think about Halloween, I don't think about any song except Thriller. So, but I mean, I mean, if it's gonna get you a coin, then I mean, why not? <laughs> they should do like, um, I think like if like MTV were to play music videos again, first and foremost, but if like you know any of the places that do play music videos, like if they were to do like a Halloween playlist of, of videos i think the video works really well as a halloween song but maybe not the song by itself you know but for me and my household it's a halloween song <laughs> well now like everything like halloween and maybe i don't know maybe i was oblivious but like you know i told you all when i came up how old i am all of that stuff but like now halloween to me it seems like like of course i'm not saying people didn't celebrate halloween but now it's like such a huge thing maybe because of social media um, it's just like, you know, people have started dressing up, you know, days before and we see all these celebrities doing photo shoots just for Halloween. And, um, of course, radio stations always played Halloween music. So, um, in LA, it's like, of course, it's Michael Jackson's thriller. It's, um, Oingo Boingo. It's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more? You know, um, it, I mean, those are the two. There's others, of course, but. I would like to see that, though. I mean, like, dust it off a little bit. Well, maybe not now. I just wish it then, you know, um, it, just because it got so much um, backlash, it would have been nice instead of kind of trying to reel it back and just saying, well, like, um, in, the, so in, embrace the, it. in the previous yeah. episode, like, uh, uh, the EV3 episode, there's that clip of Terry talking about like kind of explaining away what happened like well yeah you know um whatever hmm, you know maybe you know the, well, the director like there's some stuff we have to veto like you know just to kind of embrace it hey i'm terry ellis that that, that wasn't me you're back with more planet groove that was whatever i know i know you know we never really got a chance to to talk about that video i know it's whatever huh um well Whatever. What happened was, <laughs> when we decided to do that video, we sat down with the video director and, you know, he had these wild ideas and, you know, you thought that was bad. Some of those ideas we vetoed because they were really bad. But um, that's what happens when you take too, time, too long to get back to work. But, you know, hey. Hey, somebody liked it. I started seeing that stuff showing up in other videos. Some of those weird moves and stuff. Somebody liked it. At any rate, that's, that's what it was, whatever. Hey, it was whatever. It was the artistic moment we had. You're like, oh, you think this is spooky? Well, when we do that performance, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But really, the the most interesting thing I thought of, uh, you know, when I came across that article was that in Vogue performed with Hanson, the Backstreet Boys, Robin, Aaliyah, and of course, I know Jay, but really, you know, like, I, I it's just interesting to me like where did them both see themselves at that point in their career because like these people are more so in the teen spectrum like they in a sense kind of stand out because they're like this R&B act so R&B act and they're performing with um they have like, basically the a boys. decade on these artists <laughs> right right and when I like I think the article's behind the paywall now but like um from what if I remember correctly of course, like um, all of the little teens that were there, they were going, I think they were even going crazier for Hanson than they were for the Backstreet Boys, but like those were the two big draws. 
and involved. They, it was something like they came in with like this huge performance, a free your mind, but something was wrong with the sound, but they sounded great. Um, but it's like, where did they think they fit? Like they just didn't fit there. And of course, like a check is a check, but like, where were they positioning themselves? It's just interesting to me that they were there. I would love, I wish there were pictures or something from, you know, to see them with Hanson and the Backstreet Boys. Definitely with Aaliyah. I would like, there's, but it's just like, where? I, I think that speaks, I think we, since we, we kind of went in on this in the EV3 episode, but like, I think the label really, this was a, this feels like a label move. I think the label was really trying to position that album and it's, sort of everything as being really 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 um like pop centered and this sort of tells me that because i just don't know why they would like this is not a lineup that i would ever imagine in vogue being on but it made sense i think with what was the most popular at the time and so they were going to try their damnedest to put them into that kind of company because maybe a little bit of the Hanson stuff would rub off on the in vogue and you know like it just feels like that's what the the goal was but like it it didn't play out like that but Hanson and Backstreet Boys they were giving like fun pop like you know upbeat pop like speaking of Halloween songs didn't they have a Halloween song Backstreet Boys everybody Backstreet's best Oh, yes. yes. I forget. But, it, you know, EP3 was not giving that. But, I mean, I think being in that roster, I mean, I think it's, I'm glad that the label was not trying to make them a nostalgia act. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I'm glad they were with relevant artists at that time. Yeah. But, you know, their music certainly didn't sound anything like what Backstreet or, you know, Robin or Aaliyah, you know, <laughs> were giving at that time. Yeah. That's just like one of those 90s type of things that just will never happen today. Like people stay in their lanes more so now. Um, well, I mean, there's bigger festivals, but like for a single concert, you know. Well, I don't know. Some of those iHeartRadio oh, uh, festivals. Because <laughs> I, I just heard a festival that had like had been Lionel Richie. <laughs> It, they had Lionel Richie on the same lineup as like Nicki Minaj or some like very. Cur- I'm just like, why is Lionel Richie there? But there, it's in, it's happening. I think in Vegas or something, and it's like it's it's very random. But I think uh, someone like iHeartRadio, they have they own radio stations that are pop, country, mm-hmm. you know, urban AC, or you know, it's it's they cover the whole gambit. So they have to. I guess they're trying to at least um, cover the whole spectrum, but. You know, yeah, Invoke does kind of stick out a bit amongst this lineup in particular. <laughs> <laughs> well, just getting into the legacy of whatever Invoke, their styling, the, the aesthetic and the movement in whatever short film predates works by Khalees, Rihanna, particularly Disturbia, and other so-called urban artist forays into high fashion and high concepts. Cindy... Harry and Maxine, they were bold, they were fearless, and they were on a voyage to sail, as Cindy would describe, beyond the obvious, a journey beyond the obvious. And that track, it occupies a space unlike any other, somewhere deep in the abyss of soul, where funk and trance meet. Is it ahead of its time? Maybe for most. But not for those light years ahead. 
So, Matan, I don't, you're not on Twitter, right? No. I mean, I, you know, I have like a burner account so I can see stuff, but I'm not like, I don't tweet anything. I know Josh is on Twitter. So, you know, like when the Tisha Campbell, um, when the Tisha Campbell uh, stuff goes viral from her song, I'm uh-huh. Still Here, and she'd be like, it's the and journey. she'd be like, it's the journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's the journey. No. Y'all know what I try to do sometimes is like, I speaking of that, like I will because I love Twitter so much and it's so interesting what what gets retweets and what suddenly gets thousands of likes and also the kind of stuff like especially like throwback things like nostalgic things. And like somebody actually tweeted um, a clip from Tisha Campbell's uh, first single push and like they they tweeted the video and like you know the internet loves when they discover something that's been on the internet for literal years so (laughs) it's always funny to me when that happens but i i sometimes and i think i've done this more if i if i go search my name on twitter and and then also search whatever by in vogue like with it i have clearly been on like a mission to make people realize how good in vogue's whatever (laughs) is because i have tweets like literal like five years of tweets where every year i'm like Oh, this th- y'all love American Horror Story? Well, y'all should get into this because like American Horror Story would never exist without invokes whatever. So like it's just interesting that um you never know what resonates with people and I hope that whatever it, one day it gets its due. It's got to get its due, you know. Yeah, look at <laughs> Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. If it just gets the right placement, maybe. Exactly. We need we just need the right placement in somebody's Netflix show or, you know, somebody or the right influencer to retweet yeah. it. <laughs> so, we'll see. But We'll see. Now on to this episode's uh, submitted letter. We have a somewhat lengthy letter, but we're going to get through it from Justice Jackson. Shout out to Justice. Now, is Justice giving what um, our friend DT is doing? We're going to find out. So I don't know. That, I don't think I can do too. That was a lot of energy in that last episode. Um, <laughs> Justice says, hey, y'all. Hey, it's Justice here checking in again after listening to this week's episode. And oh, boy, I'm going to I'm going to try not to rant. Right. We love a little pun. Uh, I'm going to try not to rant here or be too long because I know y'all got other letters. But baby, I just got to let y'all know off the rip. Some takes have me appalled. I'm not even going to lie to you. No, Uh, Paul. The energy in this letter is actually kind of giving me this is giving. Um, As per usual, though, I thoroughly enjoy. I love it as per usual, not just a per usual. It's as per usual. As per usual, though, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode and hearing everyone's uh, perspective and views, even if I don't totally agree with everything. But overall, was an enjoyable experience. I'm going to just get right on to it. I, for the most part, agree with mostly everyone's view in regards to the sound of EV3. It was definitely a mixed bag and not consistent with the songs, um, not consistent with and the songs didn't match the imagery they were going for in this era. I feel like Dawn's departure hurt the album, not just visually, but sonically, because Dawn was one was the one more on the mend of what was uh, hot at the time. And I feel her input on the sound was very missed. I do wish they had hopped on the hip hop soul wave, maybe gotten a track masters join or two, because if you listen to Dawn on the firm biz song and how she wrote the beat, I always picture the rest of the ladies behind her on it like a joint like it would have been a great fit for them in my opinion 
Agreed. Dallas Austin is someone else I could also see being a good fit at the time. He's very eccentric and does pop and rock records. He could have given something in the vein of DLG. Fun fact, I just found out Dallas Austin uh, produced and wrote Cool by Gwen Stefani, which I think is so dope. Um, very mm, odd. I didn't know da- that. Dallas Austin is kind of a genius. <laughs> Dallas Austin, let me tell you something. He produced one of my favorite songs ever in life, which is Sentimental by Deborah Cox. Oh, I didn't yes. know that either. Yes. Yes. Let me tell you, that man does no wrong in my eyes. Like, Dallas Austin's oof. got a track record. Um, Justice says, I wish they had tried to bag a Euro producer like Max Martin if they wanted to get a pop dance hit. That's true. I believe yeah. I've mentioned this before. I feel like they should have gotten a new fourth member out the gate. Someone like Tisha Campbell. Hello. Oh Somebody my like God. Tisha Campbell. Did y'all know? <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all know he's going to bring up Tisha no. no. See, know. it's the journey. I know. <laughs> it's the journey, Josh. It's the journey. I know random, <laughs> but if y'all watch Happily Ever After when Invo were the black Barbies and Tisha was the tin soldier. She vocally fit right in Dawn's pocket and it's crazy how similar I they sound that. to each other. Tisha would have been a, a perfect fit vocally. I'll argue that down later. Um, but in any <laughs> case that they maybe tried a new fourth member, the change wouldn't have been as drastic and people would have still warmed up warm to them, exactly. I feel. Because they still would have been a quartet and Evie is known as a quartet. Now that to your point, JP. Exactly. Now, oh, ooh, Champ is not here to defend himself, but Justice is about to go in on Champ. So now, Mr. Champ, you have been my fave on here thus far because I feel like you match waves most of the time when I listen to the show with certain views and things. Plus, we're like in the same age range, so I was a bit appalled here. Not gonna <laughs> lie, I do respect your opinion, but baby, you were out of order for that reading rainbow remark no sir Ooh, let's not get, do my ladies you like order? that plus reading rainbow is a classic how could you shade it very disappointed <laughs> there but say la vie lol wait a minute what what reading rainbow remark i don't remember i think we were talking about like and i hope no 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 it wasn't eyes of a child because i love eyes of a child i don't care what y'all say but i'm thinking it was oh. damn i want to be a lover and he was like it I mean, I didn't want to be a lover. Does anybody hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was, too. <laughs> also, how come no love for Dama want to be your lover? Ter- Terry ate that joint down to the bone. Do well, you hear me? Dawn's harmony behind her was just chef's kiss. Terry did what needed to be done on that song. I don't care. I don't care. No slander allowed. <laughs> Number one out my personal top three. I must add, I've got your gun as it is a bop. It's one of Foster McElroy's better produced songs for the album because the others, bar all I need, were wax sauce. Sorry, Ooh, not sorry. Foster McElroy, he's talking <laughs> oh about film But they had to get some input on the album, so I understand why these songs made it. Again, great episode, you guys. I really enjoyed it. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait for the next one. Y'all be blessed. One love. I think it's simple. Let me tell JP, y'all, Justice Jackson. This? We need to um, we need to follow you on social media because I'm here for your <laughs> your commentary. It was very enlightening and very entertaining. Well, I want to say um, because I always forget to say this, and it was on my mind for the EV three episode. It was on my mind for the episode where we talked about um Don versus Terry versus Sylvia, whatever that's going to be titled. But I always forget to say this, and it was so funny is that I've been thinking this for the longest, and I finally saw it in the YouTube comment on Invo Crazes Too Gone Too Long video that when they're performing on the Keenan Ivory Wayne show, 
and somebody um, like made a comment about the clothing, which I see. Yeah, some people aren't fashionistas, so they don't they don't get into like the the whole couture or the credit porte of it all. I love the outfits, but the person was like, "Why? Why does it like? Why are all the outfits different? It look like you know they're wearing street clothes or whatever." Yeah, you just didn't get it. But anyway, someone responded and was like, "Well, maybe you know the budget. You know them having to record all those songs when Don left." cut into the budget and this is what we don't what we haven't talked about um you know like they were almost done with the record um but they recorded two more songs after she left now have they not have to spend all of that money re-recording songs because you know babyface is not what did they re-record they re-recorded the vocals for whatever they had to re-record the vocals for Too Gone Too Long. They had to re-record probably sure. to, um, all the songs they, they did. With. They went in and did a couple of leads, but Dawn is all up and through them backgrounds. But right, so, but, I mean, they ain't record that much now. Right, but what I'm saying is, though, even still working... Okay, so then there's the money aspect and there's the time aspect. So um, Babyface is not cheap. So just think about billable hours or however, you know, mm-hmm. a producer you know, with Bill, just imagine him having to go back and first and record, so they're still paying for studio time, even if it is a couple of hours, and him taking vocals off and all of that, so that's coming into the budget. Um, but that wouldn't be something he would have to do, though. Well, he, like, well, that would be the engineer. Said, uh, <laughs> Don told him to finish, I feel like you're trying to act like there was no financial <laughs> no, impact. But I'm just saying, though, like, but, no, but I'm just saying, like, but, to re like, Babyface is a producer, he produces the track, but, like, the engineer is who does a lot of the, a lot of those things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but like, Don said herself, um, and see, that's what. See, I wish because I know I, I could tell you to watch the Instagram live videos, but there's thousands, so you might not watch the one where I saw it on. But Don, and maybe she said it more than once, but she said her stuff like, um, I think it, when she was with her husband and they did something with Baby Face, maybe it was, or maybe it's when she did Love Makes Things Happen with Coco and Kevon and all them that Baby Face produced. But she said that like he was like taking your vocals off of whatever was like, you know, a very hard thing to do. So he did take the vocals off, according to her. Mm. Okay. But I say all that to say, like, so there's the money aspect because w- regardless of who, let's just say um, David Foster didn't take the vocals off, but somebody had to do that and they have to go back in and re-record those songs. And then all of the songs that um, Andrea and Ivan Mateus did and whoever else besides Foster McElroy. So you have that financial aspect of having to do that. Then you have the time aspect because remember, Cindy and Magdine are... Um, the children of, I'm sorry, the parents of young children. So, you know, not every studio is like where Foster McElroy's is. They can be, they can be recording in, you know, um, you know, somewhere not close to where they live is what I'm trying to say. So that's a time issue. So all of that, that time, effort, money could have maybe gone into like, you know, oh, let's get a Max Martin track. Let's get a, a, mm-hmm. um, a track from Dallas Austin. Which we know Dallas Austin is not cheap because unless I was talking about he was trying to charge his baby mama about four million dollars to produce it. If you remember that um, interview she did at the uh, 1997 MTV Video Music Awards with Missy and Little Kim when they were around, they were like, "Ooh, four million dollars!" But anyway, I said so. Like that's another impact that I don't think people consider. And so then later on, like seeing how much those costs kind of cut into everything, and then um, not really like panning out. 
I think that also could be some of the reason why they, the next time around, they were like, well, you know, Foster McElroy is cheaper. Like, we work with these people. It costs a lot because working with producers, especially back in the late 90s, like the producer became bigger than the artist in a lot of respect. They became artists themselves. Some producers did, not all of them. So, like, that's what bugged me because it's like if she had not left or if she would have left, like, maybe after the project was finished, there wouldn't be like, well, we can only work with these people, you know. So I just wanted to um, bring that up because I think we haven't touched on the financial and time aspect of re-recording those songs. Well, maybe they could have been doing other songs or the or additional budget that went, you know, elsewhere that they spent redoing the song. I mean, because of Don, I, I, I can respect that maybe costs were different and technology was different back in 97 than it is today. Especially when you listen to EP3 and you literally hear Don on some of the lead vocals on most, on many of the songs. Only on the Apple tracks and Don't Let Go that was already released. I hear Don on Too Gone Too Long in the background. I hear Don on whatever in the backgrounds as well. But I mean, now I don't know like how long it takes to go to a studio and record, but they they did have to do that. And so maybe it was just her part, I don't know. Um, but actually, that look that um, what a yeah, so you have to Terry would have to go in and do that. And then, like I said, like mm-hmm. the producer they were working with aren't you know maybe it would would have been great. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it was harder then to go back and do it than it is right. now. And then you have but, deadlines and time, so I'm just saying all of that impacted. Huh? I said, yeah, but she's still on so much of that album. That yeah, it's well, like, I don't know. Yeah. That, that's not necessarily she my point. Well put her on the cover. Is not what well, you know. Maybe we could just talk about this particular topic at a different time. But I'm just, I, I think what I'm just trying to get at is that they had there was um, a, a, a substantial amount of energy that could have been used elsewhere. It could have been used to maybe find two better songs than even though I love Eyes of the Child, Eyes of the Child, <laughs> and does anybody hear me? It, they yeah. could have, you know, some of that budget could have gone to a Max Martin or to a Dallas Austin, but. Now you're getting close to deadline and you have to go and redo about what they, um, we know that John was on, uh, whatever, her, her leader on whatever they were taking off. We know that she had a lead on Two Gone Too Long that was taking off. We know that she had leads on, um, Damn, I Want to Be a Lover. Damn, I Want to Be a Lover. We know that she was on Right Direction. They had to redo that one. We know that she was on All You're All I Need. So they have to do that one over. That's about five songs. That is, you know, that's, I mean, that's cutting into your... So what you're saying is, is Dawn's fault that EV3 is uh, trash? No, that's not, I, I think, well... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think, um, you know, I'll, you, you, you know, we're towards wanna, the end of our episode. I, I want to agree, though, really quick, Matea, because I think that that's important to note, because the more I think about it, the reason that there is such a Dawn presence is because... It normally, under under any other circumstances, they would have went back and redid everything. Like, there's no there's no logical reason why Dawn, is, as a person who is no longer in the group, should be on the album. But like, mm-hmm. the only reason that it's conceivable is that they were strained on resources and they were strained on time. Because when your album was supposed to come out, it's like any other thing; it's got to drop when it's got to drop, and they had to make it happen. So I, I I think that's that's a really valid 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 argument. But can we also agree, though, if this is a group you believe in and if this is a priority artist, you're going to spend the coin, right? I think after having been away for as long as a unit, they needed to push them out as soon as possible. 
especially after the success of Don't Let Go. Like, right. the album had to come out. It had to come out. They had to ride the wave of it somehow. And I feel like if they had said, maybe not this quarter, maybe we're going to push it back another quarter, like, then the momentum would have been gone. That's fair. But do you think a group that had the success of In Vogue, do you think they needed to ride the momentum of one song? Yes. I mean, let's be honest. They have been in the game way longer than their contemporaries. Look at who they were up on the sta- on the stage with at this right. Chicago show. <laughs> right, right. These people okay. were the That's ones dominating the That's charts. Fair. So they had to ride whatever momentum they could get. Fair point. Fair point. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> okay, see, 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 he's doing that public defender thing again. But I mean, you're, you're, you're. I'm just saying, though. But I mean, I'm, all I'm saying is like. I mean, listen, if my star player recorded most of the album, I just wouldn't let her go personally. But that's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> so on the podcast for the day, uh, I just would have found a way to make that work. And that's where I feel like Sylvia Roan is just, you know, she cut off her nose to spite her face. But we're talking about whatever. Honestly, that's why we can never, ever talk about, well, you know what? That's to be continued. Maybe, um, I don't know how yes. we can incorporate that into another episode, but I have things to say. But rather than that, we're going to just keep celebrating whatever. And interestingly enough, whatever is the rare track, but it's not the one that was sent to radio. It's the Whatever Tawate remix. <laughs> And if you don't know Talate, he is the DJ from Delight. You remember Delight? And my favorite. I just want to hear a good beat. Another fashion forward group. Lady Miss Pierre, DJ Talate, and the one, you know, there's always that one of the group that, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, leave his name in the comments if you know it, because I don't. <laughs> um, but Talate, I think. I think he was kind of like the create musically the creative force um, behind D-Light and like I said, Good Beat. I just want to hear Good Beat, uh, Groovers in the Heart. Um, he's from Japan. He's a DJ from Japan and he's a great, great remixer and producer. He was actively supposed to be um, maybe an actual producer, not a remixer, but as Terry told by a magazine, she said, we're considering organized noise, delight, and R. Kelly. We're excited to get back to work. Um, uh, you know, when she was talking about what was, you know, what will become EV3. So I, I'm wondering why he only got a remix. Um, but he uh, remixed it in 1997, and it's included on his long play, Stupid Fresh. Have y'all heard the remix? What do you think of the remix? I mean, I, I'm a fan, so... I know this will not be everybody's favorite remix <laughs> because it is 
frantic in sound. It is like kind of all over the place, but I kind of live, and maybe this is a theme, especially this episode, but I love when in vogue exists in visuals and sounds that don't feel predictable and this mm-hmm. is not a predictable song or this is not a predictable remix and so for that reason alone i like it for the for the brit for the brits it feels very garage as they say it's very <laughs> like trippy trip hoppy it's got like this kind of frantic beat and i hope folks will listen to it if only to just sort of hear in vogue in a really different kind of sound i think like it makes sense that they would never revisit this particular type of sound, but I do sort of appreciate it for what it was, and it, it's very, it's very him. So I, for that, for that, I'm into it. It's a, it's an interesting ride, especially if you got a little, you know, if you somebody who enjoys the green, it might be really helpful. <laughs> if you're someone who I knows the chief, as Wendy would say. Ah, <laughs> uh, but this song for me is just. Uh, I think it started off cute, but what I hate about a lot of remixes is it's cut and paste. So when the vocals are slightly off from the beat, I I don't, it, it just takes me out of it. Like I really enjoyed the the days of dance remixes where Mariah Carey and like Tony Rex and they would re-record. And so it felt more in sync. It felt more, you know, uh, aligned. So for me, it just kind of, eh, it's not my you know, not my thing personally. It started off kind of cute, but it just, when the cut and paste vocals from the original um, kind of came on, I was just kind of out of it personally. However, though, I do have to say though, when you said, when Terry said that, you know, we're considering organized Norris Delight and R. Kelly, I just have to ask you guys, what were your thoughts on involved working with R. Kelly and did they? Do you think they ever worked with R. Kelly? Is there a R. Kelly record that we haven't heard yet? Um, is there something unreleased? And would you guys be open to hearing that? R. Who? I cannot front, and I know, I know, <laughs> R. I know, Kelly, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know but it's just y'all going him down that hill. <laughs> He's not, I mean, I, I, I respect Josh. <laughs> Y'all not going to get me to talk about R. Kelly on this okay, podcast. Yeah. I, I, I totally respect your stance. I get it. I get it. Like, your your vantage point is going to be a little bit different from mine, anyway, because I, I would say, you know, I'm your I'm your elder. Um, so respect what I'm about to say. <laughs> but, like, oh my God, like, when I just think about Fortunate by Maxwell, and when I think about do you mind if I struck you up? And that's not even like, like, uh, like, I don't think I would be peak in Vogue, but just to have that on a record, like, which was changing faces, changing faces. like, it's just something into like that. Um, like the song you did with Tony, I don't want to, like, I could kind of, you know, like, you know, that's, it, I, I don't mind it, but it's not like, that's not one of the ones I want for them. But even, um, get out that it for changing faces, like, you know, as an album cut for in Vogue, I think that's hold it, in Vogue. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I did not even realize that R. Kelly wrote Fortunate. That is wild. He wrote and produced. Wow. Like this. Okay, go Imagine ahead. if they got that song. <laughs> that is wild. I did not even know that. Like, that is like one of my favorite Maxwell songs. Oh, it's, it's That's just, crazy. So I know, and I know, and I know, and I know, and I know 30 years and all of that, and I know, but I'm just saying, like, 
just um, listen. I mean, I'm glad that man got the time yes. that he's gotten. He's he's a bad man, uh, mm-hmm. but I just if there is an in vogue R. Kelly track somewhere in the stratosphere, I just want it to come out tomorrow so that I can hear it. That's all. Even if they got one of the ones I didn't even really care for, like Yippee-Yay-Yay when I, when I, you know, like, I think it was a male that did that song, <laughs> but still, like, for Invoke, that could have been just, like, you know, like, just, like, a, a, a something sent to radio, you know? Like, come on. <laughs> but um, I will say, and I probably said this tribute before, he did open for them, um, and this was before Aaliyah, so I don't want to hear anything like that because, you know, and I mean, I will say that, like, when I was little, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that they got married because I remember I was going to Six Flags and Magic Mountain, and we were in the car, we were in my mom's car, so I was like a Nissan Maxima um, 92, and then they announced on the radio, you know, that Aaliyah and R. Kelly got married, so I knew, but that was like 94, 95, when, uh, when he opened for, um, in Vogue, that was the Funky Divas tour in 1992, so don't try to come at In Vogue, but um, keeping it real, that's a collab, but oh, I wouldn't be mad at it all. I understand where y'all coming from. That's what I'll say. I think there's it's always tricky and it's an individual process for people who like, you know, can reconcile the art versus the artist and that kind of thing. That's a whole different kind of podcast, a whole different type of whatever. But yeah, I mean, to s- nobody can deny that R. Kelly was like he R. Kelly was the the R&B genius of the time. So like it makes sense that that would be a collaboration that would probably have happened. But it always makes me wonder, like, just collectively what is in the vault that we just don't know about you know what i mean right so it's kind of sad <laughs> yeah i just i wonder if if they ever did work together and it just didn't come out or if it just never happened um so yeah i'm, I'm definitely curious about that and it has nothing to do with r kelly it's more so just about the fact that i mean i want to hear invoke working with more of the you know, the hit makers of that time. And, and, and they were such a hot commodity that, I mean, I know people wanted to work with them. And I think that would have helped. Um, even let's just say like they still only did a masterpiece theater, but had they been collaborating with others, I feel like after, you know, in the aftermath of it, more people could have reached out to them. Like, you know, um, oh yeah, like, you know, come, come over to the table. You know, we love you. You know, yeah, we, we mess with you. We did the song together, you know, there could have been some kind of room to go somewhere, but when, you know, you're right. kind of like siphoned off and only, you know, like when they got dropped, it was like, no one reached out. Like Puffy, like I said, work with him before. Maybe he was like, yeah, I know. Like he, he ain't been hot for a minute, but come over to bad boy. Well, you, it, I mean, that's the whole thing. Well, thank God <laughs> they didn't go to bad boy. Oh God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I had to work with Babyface more like, yeah, I know, you know, it wasn't your last record was hot and you kind of, you know, dead in the water now. Um, because okay. he could assign them to Gab Young Records, right? You remember Gab Young? <laughs> I remember. I actually do remember that one. Who was for okay. Gabby? That was the one with Tracy. At Tracy, yes, Edmund. they did the Soul Food soundtrack. Oh, right. like I would have loved to hear Invoke like work with Dark Child in like a more significant yes. kind of way. Like that's yes. like, and that's, that just that whole process of picking records. And this is the last thing I'll say regarding this. But I remember. Um, Chili from TLC talking about No Scrubs, um, how she found the song. Like, I think, like, um, she was just... Uh, L.A. Reid found the song. Okay, right? maybe L.A. Reid found the song, but um, I, what, what I'm trying to say is that basically, like, she was listening to submissions. 
she was listening to submissions. Like, for, uh, like I know you probably heard that they, uh, TLC rejected where my girls that they rejected baby one more time. But this particular, I just remember her talking about her listening to submissions of songs. And I just, I've never heard in Vogue speak in that regard. Um, like just early in the episode, we talked about how they went to the studio and Sylvia, um, kind of told them, like, if you don't like it, you don't have to record it. But it's like, why are you all the way at the studio? Like, why couldn't, like, you listen? Now, I don't know if it was written just for specifically for them. Maybe that's why they had to go to the studio. But it's like, if any instance, like, were people sending them tracks and them saying, yes, but no, I like this one. I was like, okay. Um, Babyface has, a, of course, they're not going to say no to Babyface. Like, that's an awkward situation to put somebody in. Like, you can get an advanced copy of the track, and like, when you go in, like, if you like it, you're going to record it. And with the Andrea Martin situation, the way Ivan Mateus told it, it was like, she got so many songs on the record because Sylvia wanted to sign her as an artist. So that's like Sylvia's business deal. So it wasn't about picking the best songs from both. So at no point do I think any of what they did on that record is deliberate. It just seems like they just got these songs. But like it, it, it just seemed like it kind of came together um, erratically. And like um, when you, Josh, men- mentioned Madonna in the last piece where she had on all the, you know, all the black for uh, the Frozen video, with her, everything is deliberate. It's conceptualized. She knows what she's doing. I don't feel like that's what was the case for EV3. And so, um, like, even she remember had to take a bow with Babyface, and that was supposed to be a big, uh, th- that was a big hit. And they were going to work on what became Ray of Light, but she didn't like the direction it was going in. And so she ended up working with Will- William Orbit. And, of course, involved with a different caliber of artists, and maybe, you know, the label is a different caliber um, of label than uh, Warner Brothers, so maybe they didn't have all the tools and resources available. I'm just saying it just seems like everything was just kind of rushed, and it wasn't like you know conceptualize it, pick from all these songs. It was basically like, okay, Babyface has a song for you, do it. Um, David Foster, uh, Diane Warren, they have this song, do it. Don't even ask to check out other songs. They have this one, do this one. Andrea, I want to work with her. I want to sign her to um, Electra. She gets six songs. And then, you know, that's it. No rhyme or reason. Just get it done. Well, thank God we got whatever out of the mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to wrap up the episode. Thank God I for whatever. A, I will give a shout out, though. Like, I do, of the remixes, I love I love the remix we talked about, but um, I really love the Tough Jam remixes of whatever the Undivide dub, which I think actually has Dawn's vocals on it, like Dawn on, I think, doing Terry's part, right? Have y'all heard those? JP. The, the, is that the house remix? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those are really good. So <laughs> I think there's lots to, to play around with. If you're, if you've only ever listened to the original, whatever, you have a lot of fun stuff to listen to. Oh, I to. think the one, the remix that I heard was the, the, it says the Mucho Soul remix. Is that what you're talking about? Um, I think that like, I, th- I don't know. I, my guess here, and this is me being not so sure how it worked back then, is that they sent out the vocals with Dawn's before, prior to <laughs> either prior to her leaving or some, somewhere along the line. And all the DJs, because it's more than just one mix that's got Dawn's vocals on it like that. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So, um, they need to put those on iTunes. Uh, I don't listen, I don't do Spotify, Spotify, but. The one I, I think one I, the one I listen to the most is the Tough Jam un, uh, Undivide dub, which is on, it's not on like an in vogue record. It's on like a rare remixes. I'll send it to you. Mm. And can we shout out Juliana Franco one time? Because like he did, 
co-write and co-produce it. And of course, like when you're you're next to Babyface, who's huge, you know, he's gonna be the one who gets all the attention. But whatever Mr. Franco's contribution was, you did your thing because that's not a typical Babyface song. It's not a typical song, period. But definitely not a typical Babyface song. So you you know, which makes me really wonder if the things we love the most about whatever No Shade to Babyface actually didn't really come out of Babyface because you're right. It's so, it's so different than everything that, that Babyface has done. And that's not to say Babyface couldn't push himself to do something different. I just really wonder what Juliana Franco's contributions were. I do too. I would just say, listen to Baby Eye by Tenderoni. It reminds me of whatever. Have you heard that from the Soul Food Center? Oh yeah, it does not remind me of whatever. Baby, that, that production, the production itself kind of reminds me of that in like, in some ways. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'll listen to it again. That was one of my least um, favorite Have you heard of Josh? No, I'll give it a go. We'll, we'll follow up in the next episode. We'll reconvene. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, folks, that has taken us to the end of another episode. Be sure to stream Part of Us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, and any other platform, mostly that you listen to your podcasts. For more In Vogue-related content, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram at Invoke Craze and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. If you have ideas, interview requests, comments, questions, exclusive rare footage, whatever it is, email it to us, send it to us at part of us EVF at gmail.com. Next time we get together, we will have chant back, I am sure. And we will see y'all next time. Adios. Bye. This episode of Part of Us and Invoke Fancast was researched and written by Matan and produced and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. Um, in his defense of Invoke's whatever... <laughs> what is this word? Ethno- ethnomusicologist. Uh, in defense of invokes, what like I promise, like I have a college education, so I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> <You crush. laughs> that's not my words. That's what the gentleman called. You know, that's in his um, bio on the article. <laughs> I was like, what is this? I, I know Mark loosely. Oh, champ, where are you? Where Where is champ? He's he was on with the way to Belize this week, but he'll be back <laughs> with us soon. <laughs> We've all negotiated individual <laughs> podcasts for ourselves. What if we're like in vogue? What if that happens? That would be awesome. <laughs> then I'll be the first one out and I'm going to talk trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We could have lasted. We could have had an $80 million Spotify deal <laughs> if it weren't from a tan. <laughs> uh. 
And I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't know what, you know, um, everything is positive. Everything is beautiful. My life is great. I don't, I don't know any negativity. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to be over here like, I'm just trying to save the group. <laughs> <laughs> and champ missing shows. Anyway. <laughs> what y'all think about this letter? 